Welcome to episode two of this week of the We Know Ball podcast. We are back with another breakdown for y'all. And this week it is the long awaited SEC preview. Come on, Gavin. The super conferences to to dethrone all super conferences, the SEC. I could not be more excited. Let's hop into it. This thing's going to be awesome. Before that, we got some cleanup work to do. We have a crazy Angel Hernandez lawsuit we got to jump into. And then two of the top free agent running backs found new homes this week. So we'll do that housekeeping first. So let's begin with this Angel Hernandez news. Once again, Angel Hernandez lost his racial discrimination lawsuit against the MLB, this time in federal appeals court. And Gavin, I wouldn't be surprised if he tried to take this thing all the way to Supreme Court knowing him. He's just an idiot of that magnitude. So Hernandez hasn't umpired World Series game since 2005 or been promoted to crew chief, which, I mean, is obviously because he sucks. Yeah, I mean, there's there's no way around the fact that he's not a good umpire. I know you and I were looking at specific stats and you go back to game three of the 2018 ALDS uh, Yankees Red Sox which you know replay was pretty new at that time and he had three calls overturned in that game alone I know you found a stat on another game where I think his correct call percentage behind the plate was somewhere in the 80s which is quite simply unacceptable yeah so Hernandez alleges that his lack of assignment promotion is due to his Cuban heritage and this is the part where it gets really interesting he says Joe Torre's racial bias towards him is the biggest factor in his lack of both an assignment and a promotion which the MLB has proven again and again to be untrue. This is just another kind of fun wrinkle in the dumb, stupid career of Angel Hernandez to me. Yep, he's an umpire that everyone loves to just give shit, and I think you hit the nail on the head with him, you know, he's trying to prove the Joe Torre angle, but guess what? You, you have to prove that angle in court, and the the second circuit here who evaluated his appeal, they came out and said, essentially, that the MLB has expert evidence which shows that promotion rates between, between white umpires and minority umpires is negligible, and that Angel doesn't offer any explanation as to why their evidence is unreliable. So he could take this thing further because that's what he does, but I don't see him winning anything anytime soon. I don't either. I'd really just love to see the evidence he has put forward because it's clearly just words that make no sense and have no evidence to back him up at all. Yeah, he's bad. No no way, no way around it. He's a bad umpire. He's a bad umpire, but uh, switching gears here to football, Zeke and Dalvin Cook both found new homes now and Dalvin's headed to New York and Zeke is off to New England. Gav, who do you see in making the biggest difference for their team? Mm, see, I think it's really key to evaluate the word different. If you're going to ask me who's going to make the bigger impact, I'm going to go with Zeke Elliott. And here's why. He comes into a Pats offense where he's arguably the second best player on that offense behind Ramondre Stevenson. That offense is going to run through the ground game. Mac Jones is still a a work in progress, but that's because he hasn't been given the proper opportunities. But Zeke Elliott, he's not the better player. Dalvin Cook is the better offensive player. There's really no way around that. But Zeke comes in, offers his veteran presence, can really be a huge help in developing Ramondre Stevenson and the rest of that Patriots running back room. I do think he's just a way better presence for the locker room and exactly what the Patriots need. And I think he'll produce more because he is going to be the second best player on that offense. The offense is going to go through the ground game. He's going to get involved there. I think we see Zeke Elliott make a big impact on a Patriots team that needs a veteran presence. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think there's pros and cons of both signings here. For the Jets, I think this works well with Dalvin. Gives you a chance to take the pressure off Brees Hall, who's coming off a major injury. Like, there's no jumping around it. Michael Carter looked to be the lead guy coming into the season. Dalvin also gives you a threat in both the passing and running game, which is a huge lift for Aaron Rodgers. But he may end up getting suspended, and for good reason, because of that domestic violence thing. And luckily for the Jets, they do have an out there in his contract that protects them financially. But I think you're right. I think the Zeke signing definitely has a lot more impact. Uh, Zeke, obviously, he's not the runner he used to be. You're not going to get... thousand yards out of him this year but he's really fucking good in the red zone he's scored 12 touchdowns last year all within the 10 he averaged 2.8 yards a carry in the red zone compared to Ronde Stevens three touchdowns 
attempts, 1.7 yards on the ground in the red zone. Mac Jones also struggles in the red zone. He has a 55 completion percentage inside the 20, and that drops down to 47% inside the 10. So is a Zeke signing going to be a huge deal that sends the Patriots to the upper echelon of the AFC East? Absolutely not. But it's going to help them out in the running game, an area where they've excelled in, and losing Damian Harris especially will hurt them, and Zeke kind of stifens that hurt. Absolutely. And I think you look back to just last year, you talk about the red zone production and a team that found increased red zone success on the back of an, a veteran running back who has always been good in the red zone, and that would be the Detroit Lions with Jamal Williams. I see something similar happening here, probably on a smaller scale, considering the Patriots offense simply won't be as efficient as the Lions were last year. This isn't to, to say Dalvin Cook isn't going to have an impact on the Jets, because he will. But my thing with Dalvin is he is the better player. He's better than Zeke. But on that Jets offense, he's the fourth or fifth best player. It's going to run through Aaron. Aaron's the guy there. Him and Garrett Wilson. Then you throw in Brees Hall, who, again, coming off the injury, but is a better running back at this point in his career than Dalvin Cook. Fresher legs, ready to go. It's it's pretty risk-free if you're the New York Jets. As you mentioned, with the opt-out clause on the contract, if he is suspended for his domestic violence pending allegations. But you bring in a guy who's a proven workhorse, proven running back, proven all-pro player, and, you know, let him do his thing while Brees gets back up to speed. And it should work out great for both teams. I think Dalvin's going to have a major role in that offense cut out in the beginning of the season. Once Brees Hall gets back, that's going to get stifled a little bit, but he is going to make a huge impact in the passing game. And this, as you said, this offense is going to run through Aaron Rodgers. So having another guy he can rely on out of the backfield that he can dump it off to and make some guys miss is going to be huge for them going forward. Going to make a big impact. I just think that Zeke's impact on the Patriots specifically is going to be greater. Well, that wraps up our NFL talk. We will have some serious stuff coming for you guys pretty soon here. We have an NFC and AFC preview coming up all before the season begins, but we got to talk about the reason we're doing two podcasts this week the southeastern conference we finally made it i mean this is the conference i've been looking forward to since we started these breakdowns and i mean there's just so many storylines in this conference this year especially even with a team that looks like they're just going to roll through everyone there's a lot of teams in this conference that could be sneaky but gav we got to start with the dogs they're trying to take on the first repeat of the ap poll era and i think they have a pretty damn good shot to do this so let's start with the offense the big story here carson beck many expect to be the best qb this school has seen since matthew stafford now there's always questions with the first year starter, but I'm super high on Beck. I think he's shown me everything I need to see out of an SEC QB. He makes his progressions quickly. He has excellent play recognition and he doesn't hesitate when he throws the ball. I think that's the biggest thing. Every time I saw this guy drop back and make a pass, it was one look. There's my guy. Let's get this done. He can also hit you downfield for a huge play. He can hit you low and he can run the ball a little bit. Like he's a guy who can get out of the pocket and make some plays. And I think with new OC Mike Bobo, he has really has a chance to open up this offense. I couldn't agree more there. It's hard to find things to not like about the Georgia Bulldogs. This is the first time in a couple of seasons where they've had a, a not a question mark at quarterback, but you know, with Stetson Bennett leading the charge the past couple of years, it's been a sure thing there. Stetson Bennett is a lot to replace. He was very, very good last year, throwing for over 4,000 yards, 27 touchdowns, only seven picks, and he ran for 10 scores. You mentioned the running ability of Carson Beck. I'm high on Beck. Uh, he's in a great system. It's, it's hard not to, to, to like what you see down there in Athens, but if he doesn't pan out, guess what? you got a couple of guys right behind him that are ready to lead the charge. Brock Vandegrift can come in and do his thing and Gunnar Stockton's also fine. I think Dylan Rayola is going to actually be the future of this program, but he's not getting there until 2024. The offense is going to be fine. Here's why. The O-line's ridiculous. It always is with, with the Georgia Bulldogs. I mean, just absolute beasts up front and they're going to help pave the way for the ground game. It hurts to lose Kenny McIntosh and it hurts in more ways than one because he was a great pass catcher out of the backfield last year, catching 43 passes. We're not going to see that kind of production from Georgia running back in the air attack this year. It's going to be a lot of Brock Bowers. It's going to be a lot of Lad, or, no, sorry, yep, Lad McConkey's coming back. It's going to be a lot of 
Marcus Rosemey Jack Saint, bring in Dominic Lovett from Missouri. They reloaded. That's what Georgia did. That's what Georgia does. The offense is going to be just fine. Yeah, and you mentioned reloading. Kirby Smart actually dipped his foot into the transfer portal, which is something he hasn't done in the past. But I think you're right. The big story here for me is the O-line. Four upperclassmen. Cedric Van Brown's going to be the lead the way there at center. He's an absolute hoss. And the only underclassman? It's redshirt freshman Ernest Green, who is the top-rated O-line recruit of 2022. This team is going to run over people on the offensive side of the ball. Now, defensively, I think this team is also super stacked. You got Michael Williams leading the team in sacks last year with four and a half. He's going to be back and even better. They return leading tacklers Javon Dumas-Johnson and Mondin at the linebacker position. And you have two of the best safeties in college football with Javon Bullard and Malachi Stark. So if Carson Beck is who we think he is, I think this might be the most complete Georgia team we've seen since they've jumped into this this championship window. It's hard to disagree with that statement, especially when you look at that defense. And as you just said, you look at every single position, five-star, 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 big body, absolute athlete. You mentioned them getting a uh, Mondin and Dumas Johnson back. I think that is the biggest story of their off season. You get back your two leading tacklers. The secondary was incredible for them last year. And guess what? All those guys are now in the NFL. Who's replacing them? More five-stars. You bring in guys like, uh, you know, you, you have to replace Keely Ringo and you have to replace Christopher Smith to NFL players now. But as you mentioned, the, the safeties are going to be incredible. Malachi Starks, Javon Bullard, Tyke Smith. I mean, that combination is ridiculous. Javon Bullard is going to be blitzing from that safety position, getting in the backfield, causing havoc. All across this defense, there is no weakness. Linebackers are incredible. Secondary is incredible. And you're going to have the stereotypical damn near 400-pound Georgia Bulldogs up front causing havoc on the interior. They're also going to run through the schedule. I mean, they have no challenges on here. They don't face Tennessee until November 18th. And that's like, they just destroyed Tennessee last year. I don't see them doing anything less than that again. They don't face them until November 18th. So they're just going to run through the schedule. My only concern with Georgia, and this is such a minimal concern, is that they beat themselves. You're probably not getting a really formidable challenge until the SEC championship. Even then, Alabama and Ohio State, are, to me right now, seem like the only teams that could really knock you off. And even they have QB questions. So I really just don't see a way the dogs don't three-peat here unless they beat themselves. It's going to take a perfect game to beat Georgia when they're at their best. But again, this is college football. No one's at their best 24-7 except for Georgia last season. And not even last season. You look back to last season, they had two really, really scary games. Obviously, Ohio State and the College Bowl Playoff semifinal and against Missouri. They nearly lost to Missouri last year. And guess what the story was in each of those games? You hit the nail on the head. Turnovers. They lost the turnover margin. If Georgia is going to lose this year, one game, two games, whatever it is, it's going to be because they turn the ball over. And that's where it comes down to Carson Beck and what he's made of. Absolutely. And I talked about him getting the ball out quick and going through progressions really well. If that first progression isn't there, he's going to need to learn to take some time. Luckily, he has one of the best offensive lines in college football he can rely on. So I'm not too worried about it. But yeah, the dogs are easily the team to beat in the West. If I mean, the team to beat in college football, let alone the West. Jumping over to a team that has a little more mobility in those standings is Tennessee. Josh Hupel done a tremendous job turning that program around just two years, all it really took. Obviously, he loses Hendon Hooker, who is his Heisman guy and the guy who led his offense, but they had the leading scoring offense in the nation last year. 46.1 points per game, and the biggest question of the offseason for this team is what do they have in big Joe Milton? And Gav, I'm not gonna lie, I'm a believer in Joe Milton. I really like this guy. I, I hate that I'm a believer in him, and I'm gonna die on this hill, but 
But after what I saw against Clemson in the Orange Bowl, I'm fully bought in. He has yet to throw an interception with this team. And I'd rather have my quarterback overthrow his guys than underthrow him nine times out of ten. The talent's there. He's six foot six inches tall. Probably got the greatest arm talent that Tennessee has seen in a long time. He's going to have to be terrific. That's the bottom line. There is no replicating what Tennessee did last year. And when I say that, I'm talking about the number one offense in the country, number one scoring attack, and number one most efficient pass game. However, the weapons are still there. You lose Jalen Hyatt and you lose Charles Tillman, or Cedric Tillman, pardon me, but you do return Rue McCoy and Raymel Keaton. You do lose your offensive coordinator and Alex Golesh, but it's next man up with QB or former QB coach Joey Housel. They'll be fine there. Wide receiver room is going to be similar. Squirrel White can produce for them as well. O-line is going to be more experienced. They were just fine last year. They were good enough, and now they've got some more experience under their belt. I expect them to take a step forward as well. And the running back room is ridiculous. Uh, you get your leading rusher back in Jalen Wright, as well as Jabari Small and Dylan Sampson. So the weapons are around Joe Milton. It comes down to how good can he be? And I'm a semi-believer. I'm a semi-believer. He's not going to do what the offense did last year, but he'll be good enough to compete potentially with Georgia. Yeah. And the big guy you mentioned there for me, if Joe Milton is going to be the guy we think he is, is Squirrel White. Pair him with Dante Thornton, another guy they got in the transfer portal from Oregon Ducks. And this team's going to be able to air out the ball. Those guys are going to get behind the secondary. And if Joe Milton can hit them, they're going to have that quick strike offense they had last season easily. So I think it's going to be really interesting to see how Joe Milton plays going forward. And as you said, their season is defined on his play. However, another thing that's really going to define this team is their defense and looks pretty sound. I'm pretty high on Roman Harrison. He's going to be filling that hole that was left by Byron Young. Omar Thomas, I also expect to be pretty good at tackle. Linebackers, Beasley and Peely. I don't even know how you pronounce that, but he's a BYU <laughs> transfer. They're going to be two of the shining guys on this team. This secondary, unfortunately, I think is going to continue to lose them games and is going to be a reason why we're going to see Tennessee in a lot of shootouts again this year. They were 126 ranked against the pass last year, and they need to clean that up, especially with a lot of teams on this schedule. They're going to need to stop the pass. I mean, with Bama, Kentucky, not really Florida so much, but they're going to need to be able to stop the pass if they want to beat some of these teams. Yep, I agree with most of what you just said there. Uh, it's, it starts up front for this team. You mentioned Roman Harrison, Amari Thomas, Bryson Eason. They're going to fill the interior very nice. This team lived in the backfield last year, led the SEC in tackles for loss, and they were just fine in terms of the pass rush. Then you go to the second level, the linebackers. You mentioned Peely. He'll be a great pickup from BYU. Got to replace Jimmy Banks and Jawan Mitchell. So you get leading tackler Aaron Beasley back, and that helps fill that gap a little bit. I look at the secondary now, and I have some of the same concerns. Not only were they not great last year, they lost a lot of key parts and they're relying on a lot of guys to simply step in and kind of fill those roles. I'm talking experienced guys like sophomores and juniors in the squad, but guys that don't necessarily have a lot of playing time there. This defense wasn't horrible last year. I know you mentioned them being 126 against the pass in the, in the nation, but they only gave up 28 or more points three times last year. And guess what? Every single team they played was throwing the ball to try and keep up with their offense. So I really think that if the defense is going to improve, the offense needs to stay just as efficient because when the offense starts slowing down and the defense is out there more, there's more opportunity for them to get torched. And that's where I have really, really, really big concerns with the Tennessee football team. Yeah. What are you thinking schedule wise for them? It looks okay. They do have some tough tests on the road, namely Alabama, Kentucky and Florida. They should get by them. But again, it's never easy to go on the road in the SEC, especially against teams that have talent in some key positions, which both Kentucky and Florida do. You open against Virginia. That should be a cakewalk. South Carolina, 
at home, AM at home, Missouri on the road, Georgia at home. It looks like a standard SEC schedule to me. Yeah, same here. I think at their best, they're a 10 win team, and at their worst, they're an eight win team. So we'll definitely see how that plays out. But I think there is a lot of reason to be excited about what you have in Tennessee. They just need to clean things up a little bit defensively, and we need to figure out what Joe Milton is. Then we'll have a pretty good idea of what this team is. I think it's okay to have skepticism about this team considering they overperformed to the maximum last year, and that is impossible to replicate. Jumping over to another team that has a lot of hype around them, South Carolina. Now, I hate Shane Beamer. I got to preface this with that. I think he's a dork and probably on par with what P.J. Fleck is doing at Minnesota. But I got to give him credit. He threw a real wrench into both Tennessee and Clemson seasons last year. And he got this offense playing great in their last three games. But that's the problem. Spencer Rattler played great in the last three games. Incredible feats. But 10 of his 18 touchdowns came in those last three games. And six of them were against Tennessee. But he had four games in his first 10 where he didn't even even throw a touchdown. That's four games where Spencer Rattler, your five-star guy, threw zero touchdowns. Now, he has playmakers on the Austin side, most notably Juice Williams and Trey Knox, but his running back room is a mess. They're expected to start Drakeon Joyner, who was a converted wide receiver. He's backed up by an undersized guy in Juju McDowell, who's only 180 pounds and a D2 transfer. So that's a big concern for me. The O-line does have a lot of experience. However, I'm not, I don't, I just, I don't think there's a lot of, uh, they had a great hire in Dow Loggins. I'm super excited to see how he transforms this offense, especially after his success at Arkansas, but I need to see it to believe it with this team. I'm actually uh, more of a believer in Spencer Rattler than you give him credit for. However, he is not good enough to make up for the absence of a running game. You gave their O-line more credit than I'm going to give them. They were horrible last year. Horrible in tackles for loss. Pass protection was terrible. And quite frankly, that was the reason the running game didn't exist for a lot of last season. I don't see that changing this year. The leading rusher, Marshawn Lloyd, heads over to the other USC, takes his talents to Southern California and Lincoln Rally squad. Spencer Rattler did throw for 3,000 yards last season. And as you mentioned, he had a great closing to the season, which I think he continues heading into 2023. He's shown a flair for the dramatic. And guess what? In a conference that is riddled with QB turnover this year, you got to feel good having a fifth year senior coming back and a guy that you know when on is brilliant. I think he's going to be a lot better this year. I think what we saw in those last three games is very indicative of what he's going to be as a quarterback because in those last three, their offensive coordinator retooled the offense, took away some of the more complex concepts and easy plays Spencer Rattler achieved. I think Spencer Rattler's going to be great for them. As you said, though, I mean, offensive line and running back questions are going to be a huge problem for this team. But I also think the defense has me worried. This defensive front linebacking core, a big question for me. It's pretty bad seeing them suck at stop the run. They're really bad at it. And the highlight of this defense, as per usual, is going to be the secondary. So Nick Irwani is a freak athlete. Safety and DQ Smith is no joke. But they're going to stop the pass and fail to stop the run. They're going to be classic. South Carolina. Yeah, and it's somewhat sad because, as I just mentioned, I do like Spencer Rattler and the talent he possesses, but it's not enough to make up for that absent running game, and as you just mentioned, a defense which the secondary is going to be fine. It's going to improve from last year. They didn't get any help from the pass rush last year, and they're going to be better this year because they're just more experienced, but up front, it's it's about as bad as it gets in the SEC. I mean, they allowed 200 or more rushing yards seven times last year. Over half of the games they played allowed 200 rushing yards. The line Linebackers are okay, and this is the defense that runs a 4-2-5 scheme. In that scheme, you need your linebackers to be absolute weapons, and they're not. And that's my concern. This team is horrible in the trenches, and as we know on this podcast, Jasper, games are won in the trenches. And I think, obviously, their play on the defensive line and offensive line is going to really stifle them this season. But as I said, their cornerbacking crew is really good. So I think there's a lot of games here where, especially when they play teams that pass the football, they can actually kind of sneak out 
out of these with some wins. Most notably, North Carolina, Mississippi State, Tennessee, and Kentucky are both going to all be going to be looking to pass the football a lot. So for me, I think this team could sneak out of here at the seven and five season. That's probably right around where they're going to be. And I, I definitely agree. They're going to fare better against the teams that throw the ball. Teams that run are going to run it down their throat. Yeah, no, it's going to be pretty bad. <laughs> Jumping up to Florida and the name of the game for the Gators is going to be running the football. They got two electric backs in Montreal Johnson and Trevor ECM. I expect those to be the focal point of the offense. Unfortunately for the Gators, they got to deal with the guy we had to deal with for the past couple of years. And that is Graham Mertz under center. Is there reason to, for us to believe Graham Mertz is going to improve? Not at all, especially with a receiver room that's chocked full of underclassmen. I don't think Mertz has ever been a guy who makes receivers better. The O-line played great last year, but they lost four starters to the portal in the NFL. Florida is going to be a run the ball and play hard-nosed defense team. I'm concerned about these guys. I'm not going to lie. I'm not concerned about the running back room. The running back room is going to be incredible. I mean, Cage on Montreal Johnson and Trevor Etienne, it's it's going to be, you know, like, like you just mentioned, they're probably going to run the ball 30, 30, 40 times a game. Offensive line, like you said, replacing four starters and new new offensive coordinator Rob Sale is going to help that considering that he made his, you know, he made his rise in college football as an offensive line coach. However, it's going to take some time for that line to adjust and play together in the SEC as a cohesive unit. Does Graham Mertz have better weapons at Florida than he ever had at Wisconsin? Probably. That's because the wide receiver talent is simply better in the SEC. But after watching that man play football with my own eyes for three years, there's no reason to believe he's going to improve. Same here. But as I said, the story for me that for this team, though, is the defense. Billy Napier's made a lot of bad decisions since coming to Florida, but hiring Austin Armstrong is not one of them. This scheme is going to be far more aggressive than what Patrick Tony ran there. And it starts with the revamped defensive line. I think Cam Jackson and Caleb Banks are both home run transfers they got, and they're going to set the tone up front. Shamar James is going to hold things down and wreak havoc at linebacker. And then you got Jason Marshall and Michigan transfer RJ Moten, who are going to play huge roles in the secondary. This defense is going to be very good, but they look a lot like a Big Ten team to me. And that is not going to win you games in the SEC. Not a recipe for success in the SEC, but we could very well be looking at the best defense in the SEC with the talent that, that you just mentioned up front at the linebacker at the linebacker position and in the secondary. You mentioned Cam Jackson, big body, 6'6", 355 pounds, to go along with 6'5", 449-pound Desmond Watson on the interior right there. Absolute animals that can move well up front too. And then you gave Louisville transfer Caleb Banks the other spot. As you mentioned, home runs in the transfer portal. They lost some talent on the edge, but guess what? They reloaded with NFL talent. Guys are going to be, guys are going to, that are going to be played on Sunday come very soon. I'm talking about Princely Uman Malin, as well as Tyreek Sapp. Those guys are going to wreak havoc on the Florida defensive line. You move into the second level. They lost two key linebackers. They lost Vontrell Miller and they lost Amore Bernie. However, you get Taraja Mitchell from Ohio State and Shamar James is going to be a stat sheet filler. Scooby Williams is going to have himself some absolute dogs in the linebacker uh, the, the, in the middle of that defense. Finally, secondary, you look at, they lost their top two tacklers. That is a bit of a concern. However, you get two huge recruits that come in, Jordan Castle and Jakeem Jackson, and you're asking a couple of veterans in Trayvon Johnson and Kamari Wilson to step up and do their business. This defense is going to be dangerous. This defense is going to be dangerous. And the running attack and the stellar defense, this team's going to excel in close games. My problem is I don't see a lot on the schedule for them. So let's jump into this thing. I got, I actually, dude, I think I, I have Florida like with four wins. Like I really am really down on this team. I have them losing to Utah. I have them winning at McNeese. I have them losing to Tennessee, win at Charlotte, loss at Kentucky, win at Vanderbilt, loss at South Carolina, which might surprise some people, but loss against Georgia, a loss against Arkansas. And I think that game could flip either way, but I'm going Arkansas for now. 
loss at LSU, win at Missouri, and a loss at Florida State. A lot of those games definitely don't bode well for how this team is constructed. However, you mentioned they're kind of built for close games, and that's kind of what the SEC is all about, is winning those close games. I do have them going bowling, but I don't think they get much better than that. Yeah, and I think, honestly, if they really have a down year, like I'm predicting, I think we're, we could see them going for their third coach in two years, which is... Awesome. Really, I think they gave up on Dan Mullen way too soon. I think that was a big mistake for this program, and I think Billy Napier is not going to be the guy to turn this thing around. Obviously, Anthony Richardson last year didn't pan out the way you wanted to, so you can't really put too much on Billy Napier for that, but I really think for the, not not just the college football playoff era, but college football has passed this team by. I feel like they're at major risk of becoming a team of the past in the SEC. It's a shame, too, because they consistently produce one to two NFL stars every year, and they can't put a full team together. It's really sad to see, and I think Graham Mertz is just a horrible decision at quarterback, and it's going to really doom this team this year in a lot of games. That And we said, close games. If they have to make a pass to win a game, I, I don't think they can do it. No, and it's 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 going to be Mertz to start, and they do have Jack Miller behind them, but Miller's inexperienced, and he's not exactly mobile. So if he comes in, he's maybe a more accurate Graham Mertz, maybe, which isn't going to cut it for this Florida team. Yeah, and if you're Jack Miller and you're not beating out Graham Mertz in spring camp, I don't really have a lot of faith in you to begin with. <laughs> Fair point. Yeah. Jumping over to Kentucky, a team I'm super high on, but let me down greatly last year. Starting 4-0, it was tough loss after tough loss after that, including a bruising loss to Vanderbilt. I mean, I, I think right there the season was over. Luckily for them, they got Devin Leary, who I think has way more potential than Will Levis if he stays healthy. They have playmakers at all the skill positions, Ray Davis at running back, Barryon Brown, who just finds ways to get open at receiver. For this team to have success, though, the O-line needs to be better. After that, they did get some solid portal guys to fill in the gaps on the O-line, so I'm not super concerned there, but I think the sky's high for this Kentucky offense. I love what I'm seeing out of the Wildcat offense. Not as high as you, but the focal points that I think are really key to, to hone in on. First and foremost, Ray Davis. This guy's an animal. Great pickup from Vanderbilt. He is 5'10", 216, ran for over a thousand yards last year. Really quick. He's going to be huge for the offense. Devin Leary, again, deep ball, big play quarterback. The kind of guy this offense needs when you have an explosive running back like Ray Davis. Davis, and they return their top five receivers from last year. Everybody is back, which is huge for a team that needs to keep pace with the likes of Tennessee and Georgia in their own division. Yeah, absolutely. Defensively, this team is also legit at every level. J.J. Weaver is ready to cause more chaos in the backfield after turning down the NFL, and I expect them to pick up right where they left off and stopping the run. I mean, they were top seven in pass defense as well last year. They were a top 25 defense for the past five or in six years. This team is going to be a challenge for a lot of guys defensively. And I'm super excited to watch him play. I have a little concern with the defense, and here's why. Last year, the linebackers were the focal point, and that's not going to change this year. They are going to continue to be the focal point of, the, of, of this defense. The defense only sacked the quarterback 20 times last year, and that was a little bit concerning to me. And most of that came from the linebacking core. J.J. Weaver led the way with just three sacks, and De'Aaron Johnson in the middle, and Trevin Wallace on the other side. They formed a formidable front seven, but nothing that was really crazy 
crazy concerning. The secondary, as you just mentioned, played very well last year, but they lose three starters and they didn't really do a whole lot to go out and replace those guys with the exception of going out and getting John Quist Hardaway from Cincinnati. He is a ready to play cornerback. However, the inexperience in the secondary coupled with the lack of a pass rush and getting to the quarterback does concern me a little bit. Yeah, I just think they're Mark Stoops and their defense has a strong enough identity over the past few years that they can get guys to buy in and play well. For me, I mean, if Devin Leary is who I think he is and this team will not lose close games like they did lost last year and that was a big problem. I mean, you look at games like Ole Miss where they lost 19 to 22, South Carolina, Mississippi State, or they beat Mississippi State, but these are games that they should not be losing and I think they're going to right those wrongs this year. I believe if this team plays their potential and Tennessee stumbles, they could easily take the two spot in the East. That's a bold statement. I don't know if I agree with it, but they do have the talent there on offense as well as you just said that Mark Stoops identity on defense, which can overcome the the secondary concerns that I have. Jumping over to Mizzou, I'm going to keep this short and sweet. I mean, this team cannot pass the ball and Kirby Moore, if you can find a way to unlock this passing game downfield, this squad could be a seven win team. I think there is a lot of reason to really have confidence in Mizzou this year, not as like team that's going to dethrone anyone, but a team that could easily upset a team or two in the SEC. I mean, Cody Schroeder is really good. Luther Burton, all weapons that need to be utilized on this offense and the line is good. They just need a quarterback. I mean, Javon Foster up front is going to be huge for this team. This team is going to be great defensively, especially in the secondary. At their best, I mean, I could see them hop in Florida for that four spot and at their worst, I could see them fighting for Vanderbilt for that last spot. I'm high on them. I do think they fight with Florida for that four spot. I don't think they even sniff the bottom. I think Vanderbilt's just so horrible. The offense you mentioned, the QB is the QB spot is anybody's game right now. I have faith in Kirby Moore. That Fresno State passing attack was incredibly efficient. They hardly turned the ball over. They do need to cut down on the tackles for loss in the running game. They let teams get into the backfield way too often last season. And then you look over to the defense. The defense on the flip side was great at getting into the backfield last year. Their linebackers are absolutely dangerous and the secondary is loaded with weapons. I think that that combination, as you just mentioned, is a reason they can scare some very good teams this year. Maybe pull off an upset or two. Yeah, we mentioned that Georgia game last year. I mean, this team is a perennial trap game feels like yeah that's the, the best way to put it yeah wrapping up with vandy um congrats on the stadium renovations that's pretty cool <laughs> <laughs> i don't know what else to say about this team they say about vandy they're uh they will bring up the bottom of that division man they are lucky to have as big a sports media market as they do because if they didn't they have no reason being in the sec or being a part of this super conference going forward seriously they they're only good at baseball that's it they're bad at basketball they're bad at football they are lucky their baseball team is probably the best of all time yeah if they weren't located in nashville they would be fucked but yeah <laughs> that wraps it up for the east hopping over to the west and we're gonna start with bama without taking their quarterback situation into account this is the deepest team in college football at the skill possessions i mean the running back room is headlined by Jace McMillan, Roydell Williams, and they're already getting challenges from true freshman Justice Haynes. In this receiver room, it's astounding, Gavin. You got Ja'Cory Brooks, Jermaine Burden, Kobe Prentice, Kendrick Law, Malik Benson, Emmanuel Henderson. That's six absolute studs at receiver. The incredible death on the O-line is also too much to handle. I mean, like, Jason Latham could probably move a mountain if he tried to block it. It's pretty crazy. Now, QB is without a doubt a question here, but for me, time and time again, Saban's proved he can win without a top-tier QB. I mean, whether it's AJ McCarron, Blake Sims, Jay Coker, even Mac Jones, Saban can get it done without having the guy at quarterback. For Correct. And you just mentioned everything about the team that will lead them to success this season, and it starts with the wide receiver room. 
which I think for all the guys you just mentioned is incredibly underrated. They don't have that guy, so to speak. I'm talking about the Devontae's, Julio Jones, Mari Coopers, Calvin Ridley's of the world, but they do have Ja'Cory Brooks, Jermaine Burden, that everyone you just mentioned that is going to be incredible. I love their receiver room. You mentioned the running back room, headlined by Jason McMillan. They're going to produce. They always do. It's Alabama. And the offensive line, I mean, the depth is incredible. There's not a whole lot of proven success there right now, but it's Alabama. The line is going to be just fine. Then you look to the quarterback position. Right now, it's Jalen Milrow's job. His leash is short, though. It is certainly short, and that's because Ty Simpson is a five-star waiting right behind him. Not to mention Tyler Buckner, who came over with uh, Tommy Reese to potentially headline this Alabama offense. He's a veteran guy that in times of crisis, you can turn to if you really need to. It's about the weapons around them, though. It's about the receivers. It's about the O-line. It's about getting that run game going. Bama lost two games last year, and everyone lost their minds. But guess what? It was not the offense lost in the games. They averaged almost 500 yards a game and almost seven touchdowns. Not seven touchdowns a game, but they averaged almost 500 yards a game. They're going to be just fine this year. And you mentioned Reese being a huge pickup for them. I think the even bigger pickup coordinator, though, is Kevin Steele. He's back, and that's really bad news for opponents. Once again, they have depth everywhere, especially for the D-line. Kool-Aid McKinstry is awesome in the backfield. I think another guy I want to watch slay in the backfield is Malachi Moore. I think he's really good. He's a guy you always hear talked about in those college football playoff games, but he's going to really have his chance to shine now as a starter. I think the defense is going to be very good, especially with Kevin Steele back. Yes, they're going to be good. The Alabama defense is always good. Kevin Steele, as you mentioned, is an absolute nightmare for opposing coordinators. They need to be more consistent, and they need to make more big plays. That is what lost in their two games last year. It was not the offense. It was this defense. Tennessee, I mean, where do you start? You you cannot give up 52 points to anybody and expect to win. That, that doesn't fly, especially at Alabama. The Texas game was the same way, inconsistent play on defense, and the penalties at times were just incredible. I mean, that that was really the biggest thing I noticed because I was at that Tennessee-Bama game in person. I think that defense had close to 10, 12 penalties that game, and that was the difference maker in that 52-49 shootout. Don't get me wrong. They were fine. They finished 12th in the nation in total defense, ninth in scoring D, and number one in the SEC in pass efficiency defense. As you just mentioned, there's depth everywhere, but if they want to get back to reclaiming their throne at the top of the SEC and at the top of the college football world, it starts with cutting down on penalties and being smarter and more consistent on defense yeah and that's gonna be huge for them going forward looking at their defense on paper though i'm seeing a lot more upperclassmen than i am underclassmen and that's gonna be huge for them that experience has always been what alabama's relied upon and guess what if you don't get it done they have enough depth this year that it's plug and chug they're just gonna go now for me this team is a double digit win team the only question for me is whether it's 11 wins or 10 you think losing one game who who are they losing to i'm gonna die on the hill that they lose to texas in that game i think (laughs) (laughs) i mean don't get me wrong i think the quarterback situation is going to play such a huge role in that game especially because I think Quinn and Ewers is going to be right there this season I also have I have asterisks with the win column ne- next to a couple games LSU they could lose that game if they're not they, right they, they do get them down in Brian Brian Denny though which is a huge plus same with Tennessee I have an asterisk next to that game also at Brian Denny though mm-hmm. but the game that I have circled on my calendar that I'm really concerned about for Alabama Texas A&M mm-hmm. they yeah, I- struggle in Kyle Field and they lost to him in 2021 they beat him by four points in 2022. I'm a little concerned about them going to Aggieland. I am too. And we'll get to the Aggies here soon. I know we both have opinions there. Looking at the schedule though, I'm starting to see why you have them as a 10 or 11 win team. That Texas game, of course, is questionable. Is Texas back? Are they going to pull off the upset? Finally, they were so close to doing it last year. Then you get UCF. Then you get Ole Miss at home. They'll win that game, but Ole Miss is no slouch. I mean, don't overlook them because Jackson 
Bashard will come in and do his thing and torch you guys for 600 yards and six touchdowns. Then Mississippi State on the road. A&M, of course, we just talked about and touched on. Tennessee, LSU, at Kentucky. They'll win that game. But again, Kentucky should be good this year. You know what game I'm really looking forward to? The Iron Bowl should be fantastic. And last year at Bryant-Denny, they almost lost. They, they scored three points during the entire game. Then Bryce Young makes a miraculous 99-yard drive down the field, takes it to overtime. They go into triple overtime. They finally get the win. And guess what? This Auburn team is going to be better better this year. And it's in Auburn this year. That is the game I have circled on my calendar. Yeah, I think Alabama is going to prove both of us wrong and just steamroll everything <laughs> because Nick Saban is on a hell rage right now. And he is not going to accept anything less than a college football playoff berth this year. Because if he doesn't do that, we're kind of starting to see old man yell at the sun out of Nick Saban. He's getting mad at stuff. He's yelling about NIL. He's going to SEC media day and making a stink. He's grabbing headlines. If he doesn't start winning games and dominating the way we know Nick Saban can, especially because to me, this is the only team where if they are a complete unit, they have the best chance of beating Georgia. Yes. Couldn't agree more. And this is this is make it or break a year. They've got the depth. They've got the talent. Go out there and execute now. And they'll always be good. But Nick Saban is pushing 72 come Halloween. So his time in the college football world is limited. Kirby Smart's the young gun. If he wants to get one more from him, it's, this is the year. I'm not convinced that Nick Saban won't literally die on the sideline. I think he's just going to keel over one game and that that's going to be it. Hey, man, I think the second he stops coaching, he keels over. So he's one of those. <laughs> we'll see how it goes, though. Jumping over to LSU, obviously the winners of the West last year. Impressive season for Brian Kelly's debut. Jane Dale should be even better in the passing game this year for me. He's got familiar targets and league neighbors and Mason Taylor. The O-line is going to be great, but I think they really need a running game. I don't see it. I haven't seen a standout back since last year, and Jaden Daniels cannot lead this offense on the ground. That's correct. Jaden Daniels is up to 205 pounds this offseason. He's 6'4", 205 now. That's a big guy. But he's still wiry, can still run, but he, he quite simply, he can't because you need to keep him healthy. You mentioned the O-line. They get four starters back. O-line was fine last year. They're more experienced now. They're going to take a step forward. As you mentioned, it is time for this team to run the ball with their running backs, not their quarterback. Jaden Daniels, 885 rushing yards last year and 11 scores. If he comes close to that this year, they have failed. They have absolutely failed. They have Josh Williams and Noah Kane. The guy that really needs to be a big impact for them, though, is Notre Dame transfer Logan Diggs. He tacked 822 yards and four scores last season with the Irish. He needs to come in and be a weapon for them in the backfield and take some of that pressure off Jaden Daniels. Yeah, absolutely. Jumping over the defense, though, I do have more concerns for this team. I love the guys they got in the portal, especially Omar Spades, but I think moving Harold Perkins to the inside is a very risky move for them. I think he really excelled on the outside, and especially as a sack artist, that's going to be his bread and butter. I don't know if he's going to be able to move guys as as well as he is on the inside. Secondary is also, for the first time in like it feels like forever, I'm concerned about LSU's cornerback room. This is CBU when it comes to producing guys in the secondary, and even if they have a great offense this defense I don't think is good enough to win them the West again and I'm expecting a little bit of regression out of LSU I love that you bring up the secondary because as you mentioned they are a CBU and they're you know there are teams that they have an identity and you expect it to be fine year in and year out Utah's offensive line is always fine Bama's you know Bama's interior is going to be always fine LSU's cornerbacks always going to be great until they're not I have serious concerns with this secondary there's work to be done there it's going to be fine but you're really relying on 
Texas A&M transfer Denver Harris, as well as LaTerrence Welch and J.K. Johnson to come in and replace a secondary that lost a lot of talent. And these are guys that need to step up quickly. The interior is going to be fine. They have tackles led by Mason Smith. You mentioned Harold Perkins. They move him inside. He's still one of the best linebacker talents in the country. They went to the transfer portal and they picked up Obi Ogofu, Braden Swinson, and Paris Schrand. Those guys will all produce right away. It's up to the secondary. And in my opinion, you were asking them to step up and take a step forward very, very quickly. I think that's going to cause some problems early in the season. Yeah, especially in that Florida State game right from the get where you have to go face Jordan Travis, who is going to air out that football, especially with the talent he has a receiver. You also have Mississippi State, that third game. Will Rogers is no joke, and we'll get into him in a second. But looking at other games on this schedule, you got Ole Miss, you got Missouri, Auburn, all teams that Missouri might not be able to throw the football. But if they can, you might be in trouble. Alabama is definitely going to be able to throw the football. And of course, you got Texas A&M, who I am very concerned for LSU because that was my shot in the dark. That was probably the best bet I ever placed last year, taking LSU to lose to Texas A&M in that rivalry game. Texas A&M is going to be a lot better this year offensively. And if you aren't ready to face them defensively, LSU could be in some serious trouble here. Now, I do still have them in the double digits for wins with a couple of asterisks next to W's, seeing that they really finish things through, especially that game at Ole Miss. That is the big game I'm concerned for LSU at. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now, and every single one of their road games poses a serious concern with the passing game. And as we just mentioned, that secondary is going to have to be sharp if they want to not only keep up in those games, but win them. Mississippi State, Ole Miss, Missouri, Alabama, you're going to have to have the secondary play well. The last thing we mentioned is the X team we jumped to with Ole Miss. Probably one of the wildest quarterback rooms in the country. You have Jackson Dart, who showed a lot of potential last year. You bring in Spencer Sanders and Howard, who is a former five-star. I think they're both very talented and capable of leading this offense, speaking Sanders and Dart, obviously. But it depends on the kind of offense Kiffin wants to run. Does he want a guy who can help his unproven receivers like Spencer Sanders, or does he want a guy who can run the ball as well as his other running backs in Jackson Dart? So we're going to have to see how that quarterback thing plays out i still haven't seen them pick a starter as of yet but we're getting there and speaking of running backs this team can run the football Keyshawn judkins is a guy who i mean he's just not getting any love he is the best running back in the sec and if not college football he could easily run for 3,000 yards in two years this year and i expect him to they're third in the college football world and rushing last year and i could see them easily taking that number one spot this year they're going to take the number one spot this year and here's why quinshawn judkins is the best running back in the sec he is the best running back in college football and he has a serious chance to be in New York come season's end with his talent level it's 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 just incredible pair that with Ulysses Bentley who is also there and was a stud for SMU back in 2020 and you put them behind off the front that is very 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 experienced and there is a clear direction for this offense you have quarterback question marks again both options are great in Spencer Sanders and Jackson Dart but the wide receiver room is entirely built on this transfer portal and it's going to take some time for them to come in and get up to speed. So until then, you go to your workhorse. You go to Quinshawn Judkins. You run the ball down people's throat. Time of possession means absolutely nothing to this Ole Miss team. So go out there, make some big plays, make them happen early, and yeah, be be a menace on offense. Yeah, the wide receiver room is definitely a concern, but luckily they have two really good tight ends who can kind of weather that storm for them from the get in Cade Perkinson and Trey Big. But weirdly for me, Gav, is the Ole Miss defense is the biggest thing I'm looking forward to seeing this year. 
year. You bring in Pete Golden from Alabama, who I think is really going to help change the narrative of Ole Miss football on the defensive side. And there's a lot of talent at all three levels. You got three players who I'm going to say are going to make a huge difference. That's going to be Cedric Johnson, Sutre Perkins, and DeAndre Prince. I think this defense has a legit chance to really win Ole Miss games the first time in a while. The talent's there. There's no question. But this defense, I'm going to compare them to Bama, not on the talent perspective, but on the perspective of they're good, they're fine, but I need to see more big plays. Each of those teams, Bama and Ole Miss, had less than 10 interceptions last year. For both of them, but particularly Ole Miss, to take the next step forward, you're going to need to come up with more than that. You're going to need to cause some havoc, especially with the linebackers. They can move. They're not exactly hard hitters, but they get into the backfield. I'm talking about Kari Coleman and Monty Montgomery specifically. Very excited to see them play, win them some football games, but they're going to need to pick the ball off more and come up with more big plays on defense if they want to pull off offsets like Alabama and like the Tennessee's of the world. Yeah, and I think this team has a crazy ceiling. I think they could either win nine games. I think they could even push for 10 if everything goes right for them. But we're going to have to really see them play defense. I'm going to have to see who they figure out is going to be running this team offensively at quarterback because I think this team looks completely different with both guys in there. I think Spencer Sanders gives you a better chance of, as I said, developing your transfer wide receivers and getting more rhythm with them faster. But Jackson Dart is just an undeniable playmaker. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. And it's good problems to have when you don't know which quarterback you can go with, but both are fine options. And for this team, I'm looking at the schedule right now. There's a lot of wins out there and a lot of home games that are great to have at home, namely Arkansas, A&M, LSU. They do go on the road to Bama and Georgia, and I think they lose each of those games. But other than that, a lot of opportunity for this Ole Miss team. And I think they could easily beat LSU if everything goes right for them in that game. Hotty toddy, baby. Lane Kiffin, get it done. Lane Kiffin. Wouldn't it be great to see Lane Kiffin actually get some huge wins here and actually have a really good season for Ole Miss? Not that he hasn't in the past, but really take that next step. Because I think they brought him in with the idea that he was going to really elevate that program. And he's been on the precipice of it for so long with all his great additions in the transfer portal. But I think he really has a chance to really take some major strides this year. I agree. It seems like my entire life I've been seeing Ole Miss every other season. They're 7-0 and and number two in the polls. And then next thing you know, they're 8-4 and and barely going bowling. So we'd love to see them put it all together this year. Exactly. Speaking of another team we want to see put it all together, that's going to be Texas A&M. And as per usual, this team is loaded with talent. And again, we're stuck asking the same question. Can they execute on it? Jimbo wasn't hired to go sixth SEC West. He was hired to win national championships. You have the best home field advantage in the SEC besides LSU. You have five-star talent across the board, and it's starting to show. And I think it's really going to take another step this year. But Bobby Petrino, the scumbag he is, he knows how to run an offense. They have a lot of things going for him. I think we're going to see some major strides here from Connor Wegman. I love Ruben Owens at running back. Evan Stewart and Noah Thomas are both have tremendous potential wide receiver. And Donathan Green is going to be great at tight end. The O-line is just so meh, and I really need to see them improve for this team to be successful offensively. There's only one way to go, though, and that is... Up. They were 12th last season in the SEC in total offense, 13th in scoring and 13th in passing efficiency and third downs. They were bad. There's no way around it. Bobby Petrino is going to help that. You mentioned the weapons they have. They return their top four receivers and they have a super recruit. The super recruit to end all super recruits in a Ruben Owens coming in at running back going to be an absolute force. I know we just gave Quinshawn Judkins his time and that's warranted and he will be better this year, but by 2024, the guy is Ruben Owens. You look at the O-line, meh is a good word with the exception of Bryce Foster and Ruben Fathery. Those guys are going to be playing on Sunday next year. They are NFL talents at the center position and at the tackle position. And the overall experience is there on this line. 
as well as the rest of the offense, what we need now is to see Connor Wegman come in and have that passing game click. I think the running game is going to be fine. Ruben Owens and the rest of the committee, plus the O-line behind two NFL talents, is going to do their job. Bobby Petrino should work his magic, help out Connor Wegman. I expect this offense to take huge leaps forward this year. Same. And if Connor Wegman can be the guy who we all think he is as a five-star, he's up to 6'2", 215 now. I think he's going to have a really good season for this Texas A&M team. Another position group that I think is going to have a really good season is the D-line. They need to start playing like line full of five stars, and I think they will. That's going to be headlined by Fatal Diggs, Walter Nolan, McKinley Jackson, Shamar Turner. These are all guys who I think are going to be huge for them. At linebacker, especially, Edgerton Cooper is going to lead a very deep room that I love. The safeties, Bryce Anderson, Damari Richardson, are going to be huge difference makers for them as well. They're going to be a big reason why this team will improve because the games they lost last year, five out of those seven, six points or less. Yes, and let's, let's take a moment here to really, really understand the expectations this defensive line had coming into Texas A&M. They are all upperclassmen now. They were super recruits, five stars coming in. This this was the Texas A&M recruiting class that made everyone take a step back and go, okay, is Jimbo Fisher going to actually turn things around in Aggieland? And if they can produce how everyone expects them to produce in the past two years, this team is going to be insane. And here's why. Like you mentioned, the linebacker room, they've got two very experienced linebackers backers and Chris Rudgel and Edgerin Cooper with a ton of young hungry guys waiting behind to fill out that depth. You look to the secondary. They dipped in the transfer portal. Brought in Tony Grimes, Josh DeBerry, Sam McCall. All three of those guys are going to be playing on Sunday next year. They are NFL talents. It comes down to the guys up front. The guys that this team was built around. If they can perform at the level that everybody expected them to coming in day one, again, this team's going to be incredible. Last year, this team was number one in the nation against the past. Now, don't get it twisted. The only reason they were number one against the pass is because nobody threw it against them. They got the ball ran down their throats week in and week out, lost the time of possession battle in damn near every week, took them out of their groove, screwed up the entire season. Texas A&M season comes down to their front four. There's no way around it. If they play well, this team has an incredibly high ceiling. They have an incredibly high ceiling, but their floor is even lower. If this team does not perform, given what they've paid for, and I really emphasize paid for because all of that that front four was bought with NIL money, Jimbo Fisher will have to be on the hot seat. There's no way around it. There isn't any way around it. And it's I hope it doesn't come to that because there's way too much potential for this team to, again, underperform this year. Yeah, but if they don't, I'm thinking, I'm thinking 10 wins, Gavin. I'm thinking 10 wins if they don't underperform here. I'm thinking at least 10 wins. They do got to go into Miami on September. 9th week two, which you know I'm high on those hurricanes. A little bit concerning there, but should be a fun game. You get Auburn at home, Bama at home. You go on the road to play Tennessee and an offense that should be, you know, powerful and high volume, but if the defense is short up by then, you're looking great. South Carolina at home, on the road at Ole Miss, and on the road at LSU to finish the season. Their season comes down to November 25th against LSU. There's there's no way around it. The Bama game is great on October 7th, but that doesn't dictate how their season unfolds. It's about every other game besides that in between winning the games they should win and getting it done in a rivalry game on, on November 25th. Yeah, and for me if they win that Bama game, they lose to LSU. Interesting, interesting. Well, they are going to be in Baton Rouge. It all depends on how the team's playing at that time, but I expect huge things from Petrino on the offense, and I expect that defensive front to be a menace this year. I think the problem for me with Texas A&M playing Bama is every time they beat Bama, they act like they've won the national championship, and then they just kind of like check out for the rest of the year. Yeah. But I think they should be able to stop. I mean, okay, if they beat Bama and then they win 
at Tennessee, their season's over. They're going to be riding that high all the way. That'll be enough to keep Jimbo Fisher his job, and they won't win another game after that. <laughs> they'll you probably might- lose to Ole Miss, and they'll probably lose to LSU if that happens. Probably. But that's still only two losses on the schedule, and that's still a huge improvement from last year. So either way, we'll see Texas A&M taking steps forward, I hope. A team now that I expect to take some major steps back is Arkansas. They lose their offensive coordinator to South Carolina. Dan Enos is coming in to take over an offense that has been good, not great, and I think it's going to take a step back. KJ Jefferson's Rocket Sanders are the are the stars here, and they're going to have to take the brunt of the work. A lot of unproven wide receivers in this room. This line is still solid, but I'm worried about the depth at receiver and tight end. This offense could get one-dimensional fast. I'm not just worried about the depth at receiver and tight end. It it doesn't exist. There there's there's no way around it, and I don't see it getting. Any any better throughout the season they had to replace just about every pass catcher on this offense which is a serious challenge and they did a fine but not great job and it's not going to turn out well for them kj jefferson rocket sanders great talents and the o-line will be a focal point i expect them to perform well but when you have to replace every single guy that caught a pass last year you're in you're in for some shit yeah and defensively they also have a new coordinator in travis williams who's going to install his new scheme which i'll give him credit suits their front four well chris paul and landon johnson are both really good pickups for them in the portal but it just feels like with this team there's just too many moving parts and bringing in two new coordinators you're definitely going to have one or if not both sides face a lot of breakdowns throughout this season yep a team that is destined to take a step back this year as you mentioned not only do they need to replace a lot of guys in the receiver room they need to replace a lot of guys in the linebacker room they need to replace a lot of guys on the inside of their defense they've got some serious size there they don't have experience and the secondary it seems to be an sec theme here they need to come up with more big plays this is a team that as you mentioned a lot of moving parts with only a couple huge talents to really be excited about due for regression And looking at their schedule here, I'll tell you why they're due for regression. They have a stretch here of five games that I think they are just going to stack losses in. And that is after they face BYU, they go at LSU versus Texas A&M, neutral site, Arlington, Texas, at Ole Miss, at Bama. And then I think they're going to fully just lose to Mississippi State as well. (laughs) That's a home game for them, too. Exactly. And then they go at Florida. I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt there and saying they beat Florida. Auburn, who fucking knows how that game is going to turn out. I think they could easily lose that game FIU that's a win and then Missouri depends what Missouri looks like as we get to the final stretch here Missouri that could easily be a loss for them as well would not be out of the cards would you say for this team to lose nine games not least I think missing a bowl is definitely in the cards there nine games do you there's no way you have them in the last place Arkansas do you have them in the last in the west I, I, I we'll get to our standing projections eventually but this team, this team sucks. <laughs> I am not high on Arkansas whatsoever. I, I got to give KJ Jefferson, Rocket Sanders the benefit of the doubt. But yeah, this team is very, very bad at football. Jumping over to a team that I think is getting a lot of disrespect, Gavin, and that is Mississippi State heading to 2023. They won nine games last year. And before I say anything, first and foremost, rest in peace, Mike Leach. An absolute legend of the college football game. Pioneered how teams run their passing attack today. Rest in peace to one of the greatest coaches to ever do it. A gritty guy who coached for some gritty schools. 
rules and i hope he's doing just fine up there in heaven probably giving a million quotes up there to god right now but we'll <laughs> so zach arnett takes over he brings in kevin barbe to run the offense the air raid is being traded out for a much more balanced approach with this hire which starts with top ranked passer will rogers and when i say top ranked i mean all-time ncaa this guy has sneakily broken tons of records for not only mississippi state but he's walking his way into one of the he might break the ncaa passing record if things go right from this year unfortunately for him he's going to be under center for the first time in his career ever in college which is i think is going to be a major adjustment luckily he'll have some solid play rakers around him to kind of stifle that and that's going to be jaquavius marks and tulu griffin i'm not even going to try and pronounce his first name because i know i'm going to butcher it but four returning starters on the o-line will be huge as well for this team i expect this offense to be i have no idea what i expect this offense to be you know <laughs> i mean you yeah. go from running the air raid for three years of your career and just putting up ridiculous numbers in the passing game too and i think there's a lot of opportunities here because jaquavius marks and tulu griffin are both incredible athletes so you can run a lot of misdirection with what barbe has planned but i just i have no idea how this offense is going to look yeah to be honest with you i'm concerned because i do believe there's going to be a serious learning curve and adjustments to be made particularly for will rogers with all the success he's had throughout his career i'm talking about throwing for almost 11,000 yards He's hit at a 71% completion percentage clip, 82 touchdowns. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. However, the style of the Mississippi State offense for the past three seasons has been short to mid-range passes and a fast tempo. The style that a Kevin Barbe offense runs is a power ground game and air it out with the deep ball. That's something that Will Rogers has not been asked to do in any of his three seasons at Mississippi State. Something that I have concerns will take some adjusting to. However, this offensive line is great. They're all seniors and the running backs are going to be just just fine dylan johnson transferred to washington however jaquavius marks simeon pierce and you get a penn state transfer and keep on lee they'll do a whole lot of work it's going to be a different mississippi state than we're used to and i do think there's a learning curve there and it will cause them to lose some games early on but if successful an offense that can be very dangerous coming down the stretch and i think one of the biggest things for this team is going to be the defense i think they look really competitive on the d-line and linebacking core specifically with jet johnson and nathaniel watson but for me the big concerns here kind of come in the secondary. Emmanuel Forbes head to the NFL. They're going to need to find a standout in an unexperienced group to replace him, especially for a team that prides itself on its defense. I don't know if it's there for them this year. Obviously, DeCamarian, John Richardson, and Sean Preston Jr. are going to help stifle some of that. But for a team that's really, as I said, has made defense their personality on top of playing that really crazy offensive air raid style, they're going to take a step back. Yeah, I, I am very excited about their first and second levels. You look up front and there are a lot of names to replace. However, they're going to be terrific this year with a starting three of Nathan Pickering, Jaden Crumedy, and you get Jordan Davis and Demonte Russell rotating on the ends. Their job is to stop the run because the linebackers behind them are going to be the focal point of this pass rush. Those first two levels will be totally fine. You mentioned the secondary, and that's where I have serious concerns as well. You're asking this team to replace a lot of playmakers from last year. They didn't do a great job in the transfer portal, and you're simply asking guys who've been waiting in line to step up. Again, there's a learning curve there. That's kind of the name of the game with this team this year, in my opinion. I expect the first six weeks to be a slow process for them, adjusting to everything that's new second half they should be better i completely agree and i think this team absolutely has a chance to go bowling again this year nine wins is easily out of the question for them but i see some pretty good wins here i see arizona as a win for them i see arkansas as a win for them at auburn i have them down for a win i know you're probably going to disagree with that but i think they can get it done and then southern miss they got some pretty easy games here kind of sneaking up on them in in between schedule so we'll see how it goes for them I definitely have them losing the Auburn game. However, that is that is the second half of the season we're talking about. So they should be better coming into that game. Absolutely. 
Well, yeah, we finally get to talk Auburn, and I know you're excited for this, so let's just get after it. Here we go with Who Freeze, running it back after the last time he was in the SEC did not go well for him down at Ole Miss. Some serious allegations down there. Not really serious, but just fun stuff. Peyton Thorne takes over. He was announced as the key winner of the QB battle with Robbie Ashford today, which probably for the best. Ashford has a lot of talent, but just is not consistent enough a passer for me to really give him the credit he deserves. But for me, this running back room is loaded, even with losing Tan Bisbee. Jacquez Hunter and Brian Beatty are going to be incredible. That is a great two-headed monster to have going for you. They also have a super deep tight end room who's led by Rivaldo Fairsworth. Javarius Johnson leads the way as their solid receiver. In a room that also includes Caleb Burden from Ohio State, which I think is a sneaky pickup. O-line has experience, but for me, there's just no standouts there. I think you're going to completely disagree with me, but get after it, Gav. Talk to me. I will disagree with you, and I will start with that O-line. I love what Hugh Freeze did in the portal, going out and getting Avery Jones from East Carolina, Dylan Wade from Tulsa, and Gunnar Britton from Western Kentucky. I like even more Peyton Thorne. I am so high on Peyton Thorne coming over from Michigan State, and here's why. He can run the ball a little bit, and that works in this, this offense led by Philip Montgomery at offensive coordinator. But what he's even better at, and what he was brought in to do, is completely air the ball out. He threw for 6,000 yards and 46 touchdowns over the last two seasons seasons at Michigan State. He's going to be doing the same thing in a more high-powered SEC offense at Auburn. You look around the rest of that offense, it is built on the transfer portal, and that is why I'm so high on this team. They went out and they said, we are going to get the best possible talent we can find. We're going to get proven playmakers that can come in and make an impact immediately. Hugh Freeze went out and didn't load up on prospects, but guys that have proven their worth at other schools, you know, the East Carolinas and Western Kentuckys of the world aren't exactly big names, but guys that can play freaking football, and Hugh Freeze knows that. And that is why I love what he did in offense. I expect this offense to be very, very dangerous, very high powered. I don't know what this offense is going to look like, so I'm going to have to wait and see. I really do like the addition of Thorne. I think he is going to give them a dynamic, especially with some unproven receivers. That is going to really help give this offense a big boost here in year one. For me, the story here is the defense. I don't know what the front of it is going to look like. Obviously, as you said, a lot of experience in the portal. I don't see a single underclassman starting on this defense, which is going to be huge for Hugh Freeze. But for me, the story here is the secondary. This is the best secondary in college football. You got Nehemiah Pritchett, DJ James, Keon Scott, Jalen Simpson, and Zion Puckett. This is going to be a pass-stopping offense. They are going to make big plays, huge turnovers. They get the ball back in Thorne's hands, and that is going to be the story of this team. Its identity is going to be, and I thought they were going to be similar to Florida until I saw they got Thorne. This team is going to actually be pretty scary on paper. I just don't know what to expect in year one. I expect big plays, big plays, and more big plays, and that's why I love this team. The secondary, there's no question. It's the best in college football. It is ridiculous, and is going to be the focal point of not only this defense, but this entire team. And that's where the big plays start with, causing turnovers, breaking up passes. The rest of the defense is going to be fine. They went into the portal, as you said. They picked up Justin Rogers out of Kentucky, Mosiah Nassili Kite out of Maryland, Jalen McLeod, App State, Austin Keys from Ole Miss, and Larry Nixon from North Texas. Just guys that, again, proven starters will come in and make an immediate impact and help out that secondary, which is going to be absolutely deadly. You get the ball back to the offense, and they start airing it out with a receiver room that is all from the transfer portal but once again proven playmakers that i believe will come in and do what auburn needs to do and that is make big plays and surprise a lot of people and i completely agree with you my only problem with auburn is this schedule so obviously you begin the season with three cakewalks massachusetts california samford but then you run into another stretch where like arkansas i think they're going to run into some serious trouble at texas a&m georgia at home at lsu and ole miss i think those are going to be four very tough games for them luckily you're able to get 
back some wins against Mississippi State, Vanderbilt, and Arkansas, even New Mexico State. And I know you have your eyes set on the Alabama game, but just in the year one, I I don't see Hugh Freeze winning that game. As much as I want to say he can compete in that game, and I think he will, I just think Saban's experience in the SEC and his will to win with that Alabama team will be the difference maker there. And you may be right. I've got this Auburn team at eight and four this year. I have them coming in behind Texas A&M. However, I do think they take steps forward in years to come and they show flashes of brilliance week in and week out that puts the rest of the SEC on notice that Auburn is not someone to be taken lightly moving forward. Absolutely. I completely agree. I have it written down literally here. This could be an eight win team or it could be a five win team. Yep. And I, I they will be eight. They will be eight. Eight and four is their, what they're going to finish at. I like it. So I think Auburn is going to be very exciting. I think as much of a scumbag as Hugh Freeze is, I think he is a reformed man and <laughs> he will lead this team back to the promised land, especially because this is a team where when they're good, college football is better. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because they are Bama's rival. And when Bama's rival is getting steamrolled by Bama every year, everyone else hates it. So it's fun to see him compete with the big names of the SEC. Not only that, but when Bama is undefeated and they walk into Auburn and lose, it is one of the greatest days in sports. It's it's what makes rivalry week so special. And as we said, we're going to lose some of the rivalry with realignment. This is one rivalry that is going to stand the test of time. And I'm just super excited to watch it for years to come, especially as Hugh Freeze gets this team better. Absolutely. So before we jump into our final standings, I do have some players to watch for you here, Gav. And the first one is a guy I mentioned earlier. Dante Thornton at UT. He is the definition of SEC speed, could easily be unlocked by Joe Millen's arm talent, and things could get scary quick for Tennessee opponents, especially if they want to run that same quick strike offense they were run last year. I mean, he's a walking huge play. He is so fast, and if, if he is developed in the way I hope he has and can start to make guys miss in the open field... Because a lot of what they did with him in Oregon was hitting him with these deep passes and hoping he makes a guy miss. I think if he really takes it to the next level in his game and can make guys miss, this is going to be a huge weapon for Tennessee this season. Yeah, reminds me of Jalen Hyatt last year. Around this time, he came into the season as a promising, unproven receiver. And when Cedric Tillman went down, exploded into that big play guy. So could see the same thing happening with Dante Thornton. Absolutely. Another guy for me is Malik Benson at Bama. Mentioned him earlier. Bama QB is going to need all the help he can get. Benson is going to provide it. The Juco product was awesome in spring. He was a monster in camp and even in the spring game. He led an entire 70-yard scoring drive all on his own, catching every pass. And Brooks has been really high on this guy, and I'm super high on him too. I think he is going to be a guy who carves out a name for himself at Bama. And he's not going to have to be number one. He's not even going to have to be number two. So... If you can slide in there at number three, play in the slot a little bit and be a third option for Milrow or Simpson, whoever it may be, that's some serious explosiveness. And the last guy I'm going to mention here and could be just a crazy shot in the dark, but it is Nicole's Harbor. Have you heard of this guy? No, tell me about him. Greek athlete at South Carolina. He was recruited as an athlete. He also was recruited to run track and field for them. He has just game-breaking speed, and he's taken first-team reps with the team, which is huge. He is a guy who could really make a difference with Juice Wilson and Spencer Rattler over there. He's a five-star athlete, and I think he has the potential to take the offense down the field in one play. I'll have to keep an eye on him, especially in that South Carolina offense, which is going to be led by the passing attack. Exactly. Anyone you have your eye on this season? Yeah, and I've already mentioned both of them. Number one, Peyton Thorne. I am incredibly excited to see what he does in that Auburn offense because he is going to be told, here's the football, go air it the fuck out. And I cannot wait to see what that produces. Second guy, 
also already mentioned, super recruit Ruben Owens. If he is what Texas A&M expects him to be, he's going to be Quinshawn Judkins and then some, which is crazy to wrap your head around and even more exciting to think about. Yeah, I'm super excited to watch Ruben Owens play, especially because Texas A&M is a team where, and we saw this with Isaiah Spiller, when they have a good running back back there, they can flip the field on you quick. Yep, very quick, very quick. All right, so let's jump into some standings here, starting with the SEC East. Actually, you know what? I'm going to let you go first, Gavin. I'm going to let you go first this time. I want to hear what you got. Okay. Starting with the East. Uh, Georgia's going to win the East. There, There's no question about that. Tennessee's going to come in at two, but I'm a little concerned about how that team is going to hold up with the offense going to, you know, do to regress a little bit. Kentucky's going to finish third. I was really torn on this. And now that I'm looking at it, I'm going to actually flip it and go bold. Missouri's going to finish fourth in this SEC East. Florida's going to come in at five. South Carolina at six, and Vandy's going to round out the bottom. Man, I think we got a lot of similarities here. I got Georgia at one. Yep. Kentucky at two. Okay. Pretty okay. crazy, but I think Tennessee slips up big time at some point. I don't know how it's going to happen, but I just think they do, even if Joe Milton has a great season. I'm a little higher on South Carolina than you are. I have them at four, Missouri at five, Florida at six, and Vanderbilt at seven. So you're you're low on the Gators and high on the Wildcats, which I'm not necessarily high. I'm, I'm, I'm indifferent on each team. I'm excited, honestly, to see Missouri this year. I do think that there's there's serious potential, especially with the defense. I'm excited to see what what upset they're going to pull off because they're going to pull at least one off. At least one, but just who's going to play quarterback for them? Sometimes it doesn't matter. Purdue Purdue beats Ohio State every third year. <laughs> you never yeah. know who they're rolling out there. So That's true. That's true. But yeah, I think there's a lot of mobility under Georgia in the East, which is what we all expected. There's a lot of teams that could easily beat up on each other. Kentucky could be great, or they could, they could be what they were last year, you know, with Will Levis, where they come in with a lot of expectations. I just think Devin Leary's a guy who... I mean, there's just so many guys that I came into college football loving in 2020 that I just kind of ride with, and Devin Leary's one of those guys. I also think Spencer Rattler has huge potential, Joe Milton. But, yeah, I think Florida is a lock for that sixth spot. I fucking hate <laughs> it. And I hate Billy Napier, and I think Dan Mullen got a bad rap. So I'm ready to see Florida blow it up and really restart from the ground below. I mean, I hope Florida goes 0-12 as long as Graham Mertz is starting for them. So Oh, 100%. They can suck, and I'll be happy for it. All right, Gav, give me your West teams. All right, West. Bama's going to win the West. Coming in at number two is going to be LSU. Number three is going to be AM. Auburn at four. Ole Miss at five. Mississippi State at six. And Arkansas is bringing up the rear. Now, before I hear yours, let me give some, some explanation here, some context. Bama won the self-explanatory. They are the best team in that in that division. Most depth, most expectations. They're, they're going to win. LSU through Auburn, two through four, can finish in any order. And I have it this way right now, only because LSU has proven that they can win with Jaden Daniels and the offensive line and the and that defense. But again, the secondary is a huge concern. AM and Auburn, I'm high on both of these teams. Auburn's going to finish eight and four. AM is going to finish anywhere from nine and three to ten and two. They're going to be a very, very, very good football team and can easily finish in that number two spot. Looking further down, Ole Miss, they simply have more talent than both Mississippi State and Arkansas. The team is better. Quinshawn's going to be an animal. They'll win eight games around there. Then, yes, I do believe Mississippi State is better than Arkansas this year. Arkansas had to replace way too much. Mississippi State has established guys, and they bring in an offensive coordinator who knows how to run an offense. I expect the Razorbacks to suck. I expect Bama to be very good. And I expect two through four to be an absolute toss-up. When you say an absolute toss-up, take me through Auburn's path to the second best team in this conference. It's coming out, and... 
And the transfer is performing how I expect them to perform. And Peyton Thorne performing how I expect them to perform and relying on that secondary. Because that secondary, as we mentioned, is the best in college football in a conference where you look around LSU. They're going to throw the football a lot. AM, they're going to throw the football a lot. Bama's going to throw the football a lot. Ole Miss is going to throw the football a lot. Auburn fits well into this division. Now they're gonna they're going to win eight games. They're not gonna finish number two. They're they're gonna finish number four, maybe three at best, but they're gonna scare a lot of people. I'm inclined to agree with you. So here's my West. I got Bam at one, LSU at two. We're in agreement there. I got Texas AM finishing third, Ole Miss at four, Mississippi State at five, Arkansas at six. Wow. And Auburn holding up the rear. Now I think Auburn holding up the rear was a little too premeditated. I expected Hugh Freeze to struggle a lot more in his first year than I think you've convinced me. I just like, I love the secondary. I love everything that's going on. I just don't know if I can buy into Payton Thorne leading an SEC team after I, what I saw him do at Michigan State. And granted, I think he has all the talent in the world. I just don't see, besides Javaris Johnson, I don't see the receivers around him being good enough to help him really take it to the next level. I like what he has in the tight end Raval Fairweather, but I think running bet the running game is still going to be the focal point of this team and i think they're going to be very similar to florida i don't think they're going to finish seventh you've completely convinced me to kind of move them up a couple spots but i just i need to see it to believe it with auburn i need to see it to believe with every team i talk about that i put low on my scale i think texas a&m is right there i think they're interchangeable with lsu i think i'm i'm right there with you two through four could easily finish second and then with bama bama's losses to me are going to come outside of the sec they're not going to come within the sec you're talking about Texas and the Coach Bowl playoff? Yeah. Well, the one loss. I mean, as I said before, they're a double-digit win team. The only matter is whether they slip up in the SEC, which I don't expect them to do. I yeah. think that Texas game is going to be the biggest challenge on their schedule because of their quarterback uncertainties and because I think Texas is the most complete they've been in a long time. And that's going, especially just the way they played them last year. I mean, Quinn Ewers, if he doesn't go down, I think Texas could easily have won that game. They, they would have won that game if Quinn hadn't gone down. Back to the Auburn debate. I'm just incredibly high on the transfer for portal talent they brought in and i know you aren't you aren't there yet but give it a few weeks and you will be i am super high on the fact that they didn't bring in prospects they brought in ready to play guys from schools that you might not have heard of before but super talented they essentially rebuilt the team hot take time they're gonna win the iron bowl well i know you said you had that game circle november 25th they're gonna I win like the that take I like that take a lot. I don't know if I can't put a two win. I can't put a two loss Alabama in the college football playoffs. That's why I can't give Alabama that loss. I think Texas <laughs> game where Alabama loses, but I could be wrong. Alabama could easily just like not live up to my expectations at all. And for me, like the big thing, as you said, with Auburn is the experience. I look down at this roster right now. I don't see the only underclassman I see projected to be a starter is Camden Brown and he's a wide receiver. So yeah, I mean, Auburn, there is reason to be high on them. My big thing with the transfer portal and kind of why I think I haven't been as big a fan of Miami and Auburn, the Auburns of the world and these teams that really reached in the transfer portal. It's cohesion. I think cohesion is such a big part of college football and having a unit, especially with the first year head coach, having a unit that has gone these reps in in the spring, gone through it together for multiple years is I think a really big difference maker for a lot of college football teams. I agree. The only team that's really been able to put all the pieces together in year one has been USC last year. So I can't blame you for having that mindset. I'm optimistic and I really hope that Auburn and Miami more so Miami I love the Hurricanes but this isn't ACC pod this is SEC go Tigers the ones from Auburn not LSU they're gonna win the Iron Bowl Bama might be able to sneak in the 
comfortable playoff anyways, but Hugh Free is going to shock the world come November 25th. I'm excited to see it. And I'm excited to get going here. I mean, we have week zero coming up next week and we will have the first breakdown episode, first little preview episode for the people here. So let me just take y'all how our schedule is going to look like going now that we're headed into the beginning of college football in the NFL season. We're going to switch to a two podcast a week format, similar to the one we got this week, where we are going to preview games for you either Wednesday or Thursday. Put that pod out for y'all to listen to before we head into the games in the weekend and then have a full breakdown for you either Sunday or Monday. It's going to be fun, Gav. I'm pretty excited here going forward. I'm excited, man. A lot of ball to watch. I mean, I'm, I'm excited to get in the trenches and really evaluate some teams. Oh, it's going to be fun. So we'll see y'all next Wednesday for Week Zero Preview and the NFC.